the unfortunate thing about Shopify POS is that it only uses ShopPay. Okay. So here we were in this, we had a total snafu, right? So we we had a system, we we figured out which payment processor we could use for online, yeah. but for payment processors within the boutique, we had no idea what we were allowed to use or could use. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. How difficult could the payment process through a POS be? You will probably take it for granted if you can swipe a credit card in North America. Why would it be a problem in dealing with credit cards from the rest of the world? Well, when it comes to the financial processes internationally, each country has its own banking system and payment gateways. Selecting an e-commerce platform without thinking through the financial processes of that country might fire back. In today's episode, our guest Jacqueline Laffer shares her insights into the Shopify POS and the challenges associated with international payments. She also shared a story about the challenges associated with Mexico localization. Finally, she shared the importance of product documentation and insights on inventory and warehousing processes inside Shopify and an omni-channel architecture. Let me introduce Jacqueline to you. Jacqueline Laffer is an e-commerce digital marketing solutions and project management consultant with over 14 years experience specializing in the luxury, fashion, beauty, and travel industries. Having launched Henry Bendel's first e-commerce website, warned number nine's second built online experiences with Estee Lauder, companies, Coty, Edit New York, and Blitzworld, Jacqueline is known for helping companies scale their business. Jacqueline founded the e-commerce consulting and project management firm Rebuild Girl, which led the re-platforms for brands such as Leo J and Klein, Joseph Wood, Creed Boutique, Flores London, Misesir Perfumes, Hanky Panky, and more. Additionally, Jacqueline co-founded Throughout Web Design, co-founded Thoughtful Web Design and Development Agency. Driver Digital with partner David, web design and development agency, Driver Digital with partner David Yasky. Jacqueline enjoys building consensus, effectively motivating and helping teams hit their mark in defining digital solutions and integrations to help brands grow. She loves making music with her synth electronic band, Real, and most importantly, hanging out with her husband and rescue dog. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. I'm excited to be here. How's it going? 
Okay, going great. And I am super excited to have you as well because the kind of work that you are doing is fairly unique, obviously, in a very specific industry. And every industry is going to have its own nuances. So it's going to be so much fun discussing that. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus right now? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I originally started on the agency side. I was a project manager cutting my teeth at one of those uh, website design and development shops that were doing custom Ruby on Rails uh, e-commerce shops back in uh, the mid 2000s. And it was during that 10 year that we just did a handful of amazing e-com projects from Henry Bendel's very first e-commerce site to Bond Number Nine's second e-commerce site. And then we worked with Estee Lauder, Cody, Edit New York. I mean, you could name a brand, we worked with them. And after seven years of working on the agency side, I ended up uh, going on the brand side because I wanted to see what it was like to actually work within a brand instead of an agency. So I worked at Bliss. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Bliss Spas, but they were in uh, the Starwood Hotels and they also had an amazing brand um, as well. So I was their uh, digital solutions manager for several years. And it was actually during working at Bliss that I had my light bulb moment of creating my own agency, which is my agency is called Rebuild Girl. Very cool. And thank you. Thank you. So I was at Bliss and my VP of e-com basically got approved a redesign and builds of Bliss's site and all of the systems that were uh, approved to uh, be used for the design and build had never spoken to one another. It was Aquia front end. uh, The back end was Jagged Peaks Edge. Uh, We had a, we had a gutted integration to SysPro, the ERP. Yeah. we even had an integration to uh, Bliss's spa booking engine called Book for Time. So it was basically all of these systems that had never talked to one another before, and we had to make it work. And in conjunction, we had to get design approved, yeah. you know, from a front end perspective. So you can imagine what a kerfuffle this project was. So it was during that project that I had my aha moment where I was like, you know what? brands need assistance. They need an outside consultant to help work with them to do the due diligence on the systems that are exist out there, figure out what's right for their business from a budgetary standpoint and an operational standpoint. And, and then they need someone to work with them on a day-to-day basis to help see this project through to fruition. Because as we all very well know, if you're going through a migration, it's basically like doing a second or even third job. So having that added support while you're keeping the day-to-day operations going is so key. And so that was really the premise and the spark um, that came into play when I created Rebuild Girl. Very cool. I could not agree more. I mean, I personally have always underestimated the work that is typically required in executing these projects. And obviously, when you are going to have multiple systems, it's always, always extremely tricky. You just don't know what you don't know. And that is always the biggest challenge with these uh, projects. Now, as you know, Jacqueline, obviously, we are going to be digging deeper into all of this. My audience is going to be slightly traditional. I mean, they are not as cool as um, uh, the fashion world. 
We are, <laughs> we are the manufacturing executives, you know, they don't understand as much, you know, web world or the technology world. And when you say things like Ruby on Rails, you know, for developer community, that's a hoo-hoo. But for yeah. manufacturing, they are like, okay, is that some sort of ingredient that goes in my manufactured product? What are we talking about here? Okay, so uh, obviously our audience is going to be the financial executives. So if we can break it down a little bit for them, obviously that's going to be super helpful. So we'll have a lot of Absolutely. fun discussing all of that. Okay, but before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going right. to be your perspective on business growth. It is all about the quality of your product. That is the key, in my opinion, because you can market it all the live long day. You can make a beautiful website. You can throw hundreds of thousand dollars at, at, at it from uh, from a marketing perspective. But if your product stinks, then it's just not going to work. Yep. More and more consumers are very much caring about the story of the brand. Where was it made? Is sustainability involved? Yep. What's, what's the story of the owners that created it? So yep. I feel like that getting that story straight and getting the product straight is really where you're going to put, set yourself up for success to have that growth. So, yeah, amazing perspective. And I am going to say one thing about manufacturing. Obviously, we have had a lot of different episodes about manufacturing. And one thing they are always challenged with is going to be in narrating their story and narrating their story in the digital form, because your customer experience in my mind is probably part of your story as well. And you need to enable that, you know, using different systems. So we are going to be discussing all of that. So I'm actually going to start with the first question, because the kind of work that you do, even though you are talking about the marketing branding story, uh, but your work is very deeply involved when we talk about things like payment and and Mexico localization. That's a very, very, very hard left uh, overall from the uh, from the operations perspective, right? So yeah. let's say if uh, I am the financial executive and you know I may have an entity in Mexico, I may be doing business in Mexico, and I have no idea what is really involved in sort of enabling the seamless transaction that I need to do with the Mexico entity. I need to conduct the business. I may have you know web portal there. I may be serving Mexico market. So let's say if somebody is starting on this journey, what are the things they might expect when they are trying to create either their digital strategy or the brand strategy? Absolutely. So uh, opening a business in Mexico, I felt like I became MacGyver and I had to be a detective to (laughs) figure out how all of this worked because it is not a well-talked about, well-documented area um, in relation to both e-commerce and also setting up brick and mortar, truthfully. So I had the opportunity to work with uh, forgive me, it's another uh, beauty brand. They had, they obviously have a U.S. location for e-commerce and also boutiques here, but they were launching in Mexico, both a Mexico site and also a Mexico boutique. And I, I'm going to talk about platforms a little bit, just yeah. because it will lead us to some of the answers that you're asking for. So we're using Shopify okay. uh, for the e-commerce okay. and basically shop pay, which is basically the payment processor for Shopify okay. actually does not service Mexico. Okay. So that was a huge, 
a deterrent for us because here we are, we, we want to use the same platform across multiple countries, but yeah. the payment processing option uh, was not available. So we discovered that we needed to use, there's several different payment processors that service Mexico yeah. from an online perspective. Um, some of those just to talk that through. So for any of your listeners that might be going through this process, um, Stripe services Mexico. Yeah. Forgive me. Um, Mercado Pago is another yeah. that services Mexico. Yeah. And also Pay- PayPal Zettle is another that services Mexico. Okay. So those are a couple of uh, payment processors that people could look at from an e-com standpoint. Yeah. But here's the other clencher. So let's say you you want to have an e-commerce website, but also have a brick and mortar store and you want yeah. to use this in system, obviously. So Shopify has Shopify POS. Yeah. So the unfortunate thing about Shopify POS is that it only uses ShopPay. Okay. So here we were in this, we had a total snafu, right? So we we had a system we we figured out which payment processor we could use for online, yeah. but for payment processors within the boutique, we had no idea what we were allowed to use or could use. So um, we we went through a long series of weeks of research to yeah. discover what we could actually do. And basically, Mercado Pago has terminals. But getting into contact with someone at Mercado Pago is a very difficult process. You have okay. to work in back channels to finally speak to someone. So we yeah. didn't go that route at, at launch. We also looked at Stripe because naturally we thought Stripe would be the, the payment processor. However, they didn't have terminals to be able to run credit card processing. Hmm. So Stripe was not another option. So we also looked at PayPal Zettle. So PayPal Zettle is actually a very interesting option because you can use them for e-commerce processing, but then they also have terminals, which are becoming very widely used in Mexico from all of my research. So that was kind of our, we we were heading in the direction of using PayPal Zettle. But then we learned, and this was like the biggest reveal to us of all, that most brick and mortar stores yeah. in Mexico are are working with their banks, their respective banks, yeah. and the banks are providing the credit card terminals. So the most popular banks uh, in Mexico right now are BBVA, I'm sure you've heard of. There's yeah, also yeah. Citibanamex, so that's part of Citibank, and then uh, Santander. So they actually are the people that supply the terminals, and then you can run the credit card transactions within your store. To tie it all back to Shopify, there's, you know, obviously there's there's a custom payment option that you can uh, enter into Shopify. So that yeah. way it's noting your transaction. The other thing I would like to say too is that we learned is that in some cases, if you're working with the banks, yeah, in using their terminals, sometimes you have a separate terminal for uh, Visa MasterCard and a yep. separate terminal for Amex. Huh. So <laughs> as you can imagine, your sales representative representatives are walking <laughs> around the store with like tons of pieces of gear. So I would love to have 15. Exactly. Right in exactly. front of the customer, right? <laughs> exactly. It's so wild. So I, you know, I, it's a very interesting business uh in Mexico and I I 
it's just a wonder, you know, it's such a growing area too. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And I feel like I, once I went through this process, I felt like a very strong need to like get out there in the world and start talking about it because like, it shouldn't be this complicated. Right. So I hope that helps. Yeah. Very cool. It does help. Thank you so much. So obviously, you know, when companies are looking for this, I mean, for them, even if they might be starting any sort of system journey or e-commerce journey, I'm I can almost guarantee that they are probably not worrying about the details. And especially at the leadership level, they are like, okay, I am looking for this system. This should work automatically. You guys can figure it out. You guys are technical people, but obviously this is going to be a lot more related to the business model, what you are trying to do. And and sometimes that may require the process change as well. In this particular case, maybe you figured out, you know, which payment option is going to work, but sometimes you might actually need to change your business a little bit to accommodate whatever options may be available for you. So the clarifying question, obviously there are a lot of layers and we can take this conversation in many different directions. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm going to touch on this is going to be one of the points that you mentioned is not well documented not well talked about. Now, people who don't, uh, you know, implement e-commerce or ERP system for living, they don't necessarily understand the importance of documentation from their perspective, as well as from our perspective, because as the mechanic, (laughs) you know, if I'm the, if I'm trying to repair my truck, I need the documentation about the truck. Otherwise, I'll not be able to repair that. So talk to us about why well-documented and well-talked about is important when it comes to any sort of digital journey. Absolutely. So I by no means mean to dog on Shopify in any way, shape or form. They're a partner of both of my agencies and I, uh, it is my preferred e-commerce platform that I like to work within. However, I am absolutely shocked that we were not given the proper insight on the onset that Shopify was aware that we were using the e-commerce platform and we had POS and to have someone describe to us from a documentation standpoint, like, look, you're good. These are the paths that you should use. I mean, obviously they give you a couple of lists of payment processors that you can use, but they don't go into the intricacies of, well, POS for uh, payment processing won't work here. So you'll have to look at these options. So having those details lined out would have been really helpful for us. And I'm hoping that Shopify will uh, improve its documentation to let other people know about this. Because, you know, obviously we had a, we had a deadline. We had a deadline. We were supposed to go live in what, uh, August. And we went live in September because we had this roadblock of, you know, it really impacted our site launch. Yeah. It impacted obviously our not just our e-commerce team, but it impacted our finance team that had to get involved to understand, okay, what are the transaction rates for PayPal Zettle versus the bank? Like, you know, all of these uh, departments within an organization are impacted if proper documentation and outlines yeah. aren't provided. So I hope that Shopify does make some improvements in this area and that you know, they just, they become a little bit more informative. So. Yeah, very cool. And by the way, I mean, Shopify is not the only company, you know, that would probably have this challenge, to be honest. I mean, I have worked with, uh, you know, a lot of OEMs and they all have similar challenge. Uh, You know, there are going to be areas where you are going to be super well documented because 
uh, that is being inquired a lot, that is being used a lot. Uh, you know, that's how you and documentation in my mind is actually part of your product. Okay, you have the same release cycle the way you are going to have for the product. Uh, you know, it's just that people who are not really using it don't realize how important yeah. documentation of a product is going to be. So the follow up question I'm going to have for you is going to be similar as well. Okay, so let's say if I'm the manufacturing executive, okay, I just don't understand what is documentation why product documentation matters if i am hiring a developer or the erp guy or the e-commerce guy or the technical guy we should be able to figure this out why do you need <laughs> documentation <laughs> why oh my gosh why do you need documentation it's like a recipe right like let's talk about it in cooking terms everybody that listens to your shows cooks right yeah, so yeah. it's like and let's even take it another level Everyone on this show knows someone who got into baking sourdough during the pandemic, right? right? So right. making sourdough is not a straightforward thing. It's yeah, not like just not. throwing a bunch of things into a slow cooker and knowing that you're going to have a good chili at the end. Right. So you have to follow these directions to a T, the amount of water, what's the temperature in the room, like all of those details matter. So documentation, it, compare it to following that sourdough pandemic recipe that you're looking at. Like it needs to be followed to a T and documentation basically provides you the keys to efficiency and also provides the keys to staying within budget. So if there isn't proper documentation, it's just more time that your developer is spending trying to figure out what needs to happen, you know, or how to make it work. Um, and to just take it to another level, I mean, the one most wonderful thing about the web, right, is that coding uh, information is shared constantly, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, that that is such a key piece to having proper documentation. Uh, think about it as sharing is caring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like exactly. So I am actually going to take this, uh, you know, discussion in a different direction. And this is going to be more now from the developer perspective, uh, because they also struggle. Uh, you know, if you are going to have really good developer, they are really, really good at, you know, documentation. In fact, in my mind, they are almost like a marketer, to be honest. OK, the way write, uh, they write their documentation is going to be very different from a guy who is just an intern from a college. And, you know, they are simply trying to figure this out. So and the, yeah. the other distinction uh, that uh, we typically have in the enterprise software world, uh, as well as your uh, system development world, where you are going to have programming languages that you are, uh, you know, using off the shelf. So one of the terms that you had mentioned during your conversation was Ruby on web. Okay. Yeah. So now if you actually talk to any of the developers or the IT guys, they don't really understand the importance of documentation. To be In fact, they hate, hate to do documentation. They really do hate to do documentation because this is just waste of time. You should be coding, right? As a developer, uh, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, documentation is not fun, okay? And this is what we see in engagement after engagement that, okay, we are looking into an ERP implementation. They took three years to implement that. Now, nobody knows the business rules that are actually coded as part of the software. Now, this is a yeah. challenge in case of your enterprise software as well. Some, it is somebody else's software. It is somebody else's yeah. car that I am trying to use. If I'm trying to build my own car that I built from scratch, that I know every single intricacy of that car, then it's going to be easy. 
So now, do you share similar experience when you are working with the enterprise software versus, uh, you know, some sort of open source platform? Have you seen similar documentation challenges that documentation is going to be far more important in case of your enterprise software? And that's why the quality of the publisher who's actually providing the software is going to be super important as well. Because if you are buying from somebody who's just a local shop, they might have developed the e-commerce software. Obviously, they are not going to have the best developers and not the best marketers for the internal documentation for the product. So obviously it's going to be a challenge. Have you seen similar experiences when you are working on these engagements? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I work with a lot of agencies. So agencies often, you know, they're handling the implementation or the development of a CMS, a content management system, or um, they've made a custom application of some sort that requires how-to documentations for the end user. Yeah. And most of the time it comes way late and it comes incomplete. (laughs) I know. And you're like, you're like, oh, okay, the only thing I've learned from this is how to create a user account. Right, <laughs> I don't right. know how to do anything else. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think from an agency standpoint, it would be very important for agencies and to invest in perhaps it's their head of product or product education that works alongside the developers that goes through the experience from an end user perspective yep. and handles the documentation and then maybe works with alongside the developer um, on anything that might be missed. I do believe in a a fair separation between what a developer is actually doing and some of some documentation. Uh, I, I do believe that developers' times, coding time is very precious and it, there's a certain train of thought that yeah. most developers have to get into to actually get the job done. So my husband's actually a software engineer. So like maybe I'm a little biased, but... Um, you know, I, I do believe in, in and having a little bit of a separation and having someone else experience the platform and aiding in that process of documentation because end user versus the developer, two totally different experiences, right? So I think having an external person to work side uh, along the developer to create that documentation would be important. And then on your point about enterprise, I hate forums. I don't understand why these large enterprise companies are like, let's use, we'll have a help icon at the top of the site and you yeah. click on the help icon and it's just forums and you enter in your, your question and all of a sudden you're like in a chain that you're just like, I still am not getting answers. Like the, ideally enterprise companies have taken the time to be like, what are the areas of our platform? Yeah. And, you know, develop out the how-tos and, and of course, a forum can be included at the bottom so people can add in their comments and their rants and their workarounds. But I think it's another essential area for people to invest in. Clearly, I'm passionate about this part, Sam. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you are living this life, right? And it could be very frustrating if you are not going to find the documentation and the answers and things are not going to be in your control. Because again, you are using somebody else's part. Uh, you know, you just don't understand how it was designed. So somebody needs totally. to explain that. And I completely agree with you that, you know, typically product companies, they are going to club the developer with somebody who can really act as the end user as the proxy because developers i mean if you actually pay attention to them they don't really have training in marketing and you do require a little bit of you know training in marketing how to think from your customer's perspective okay Uh, uh, you know it it sounds easy but it's very hard to do 
you require formal education and how to think like a customer and that is the marketing education and that's why you have the product experts that typically pair with your developers in the enterprise software company because the documentation is as important as your product if not more important i feel it's more important i don't care for the product as much i care more for the documentation to be honest okay because that could actually fire back if they are going to be miscommunicating something and you are trying something else and then you push that code to production good luck with that <laughs> you are going to have a totally. lot of totally <laughs> totally and you know the other thing i was just thinking about is like if your developer is doing the documentation your developer is like the person that knows how to get out of like escape the room you know what i mean they know how to get from point a to point b they're like the person that's played the video game 10 times and knows yeah. all the tricks and the turns right so you want to pair them with someone who has no idea to be able to be like discover those roadblocks and and to help guide other people for how to use it so okay love it so we are going to go back to our mexico story obviously that's where uh, the fun is right so you know in these stories so obviously one of the things that is going to be helpful for our listeners in this particular case we are talking about obviously the payment challenges that we have and this is a new country they have different regulations they have different arrangements the way they work they have different cultural factors that are driving you know how the payment is processed in that country but overarchingly you know let's say if i think more from the executive perspective they typically don't worry about these things so if we look at the business model my assumption here is going to be that the, uh, when you are in the fashion beauty space this is probably yeah. going to be more of the b2c play so you know i don't think we have the enough business context from the business model perspective if you could describe a little bit about you know what kind of products are we talking about you know what is the transaction how they are being shipped so you did mention that you know this is the e-commerce plus uh, the point of sale so my assumption is going to be it's a very b2c play but you know do you want to describe the business a little bit more so that uh, you know we can build on the story sure so there is a warehouse for this particular okay. client in mexico okay and so we had to set up a new integration for shopify for e-commerce to the warehouse in in mexico which okay. also has an erp Unfortunately, we the developers on the warehouse side haven't figured out to do inventory syncs. So okay. meaning whenever inventory comes into the warehouse, a flat file needs to be uploaded to adjust inventory levels. Um obviously anytime an order is placed on the website, inventory is deducted from the the website and also in the warehouse. So that piece is totally fine. It's just more for incoming products. To speak on the POS side, you you actually touched on something interesting which is cultural and financial differences. Yeah. which is our receipts here in in the United States are very different in comparison to what you find in Europe and what you find in in, in Mexico as well. Right. So itemizing out that as an example is you know a difference in business logic so yeah. um being able to support that as well we had to figure that piece out which which we luckily have so but yeah i mean within the boutique um it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful store customers come in they pick out their product from an operational standpoint what happens is a little bit clunkier than what yeah. happens here in the US because the sales representative is ringing up the transaction both within Shopify POS but then is also running the actual transaction in those separate terminals that yeah. I had mentioned that are provided by the bank so and then the customer once 
I'm sorry, once the sales rep runs the transaction in the, the payment processor, they have to go back to Shopify and close out the transaction. So huh. it's this like, they go from one system to another system and then back to the original system to close out that transaction. So it's like a little bit of a dance. Yeah, dance in front of the customer. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little twirl and a curtsy. Yeah. They know, must be and... getting chipped. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's like, wow, look at how much this person went through to give me a bag. It's true. Yeah. So I really hope that we can find a more seamless uh, operational flow for them. Funny enough, where since I originally met with you, Sam, you know, I mentioned that we went with Stripe for payment processing. We've already decided we're going to change the payment processor again. Okay. So we're we're gonna move from Stripe to Mercado Pago, and luckily have um, been introduced to someone at Mercado Pago. So now I have a sales representative that I'm speaking with that can work with us on transaction rates based off of the incoming sales volume that we're dealing with. So <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It is always it's a- crazy. By the way, doing any <laughs> of the digital projects, they are never easy. Irrespective of whether you are talking about integrating your TOS with your commerce and the dance that you are talking about, this dance, at least you can feel and experience and you can tip. There are a lot of dances that are happening in the background that you don't see <laughs> that people like so, you and me have to go through on a daily basis. <laughs> so true. Uh, so true. Right. So, okay. So we are going to be touching on the complexity of this whole, the omni channel and it's not even completely omni-channel to be honest i mean the way i am uh, seeing this because you have the pos you have the e-commerce everything is sitting inside shopify so still your life is going to be slightly easier uh, because you know at least the your pos is connected with shopify if you are getting pos from somebody else obviously it's going to be a nightmare to integrate both of them good luck with that <laughs> if you have that exactly right so here let's say uh, you know so so the point i am trying to touch here is going to be so you mentioned a little bit of dance okay why is the dance happening uh, my listeners will not be able to follow along sure. why do you need to capture the transaction in the pos and then why do you need to go to your uh, e-commerce and by the way one other point that you mentioned related to inventory inventory is always the craziest part in any uh, e-commerce uh, you know erp implementation because it's very, very, very hard to sync that. So in this particular case, I think, you know, you mentioned that it was not syncing. So describe a little bit of, you know, how inventory worked when you were going from your, your you, I don't know if they were in the US, US to Mexico, Mexico warehouse to POS, sure. to your e-commerce, uh, a lot of bands. Sure. So describe the bands. Sure, sure. So for your first portion of the question, which was in relation to why is there a dance in the store? Exactly. Um, the reason why there, there's a dance in the store is Shopify POS does not offer payment processing for Mexico. Okay. So that's why these separate terminals provided by the bank are being used to actually run the credit card from a okay. payment processing standpoint in the store. So yeah. that is that's what that is for, for your listeners. So that's why there's a dance. So the, the, the sales rep brings up the the order in the store in POS. So that way there's inventory deduction on the store side. But then it actually, to be able to collect the payment, 
they're taking the credit card from the customer and ringing the, the credit card in these separate terminals that are run by the bank. And that's how we're collecting the money. And then the customer, the sales representative goes back into Shopify yeah. and then says, okay, I'm closing out this payment and payment has been collected. And so that is, that's basically the reason for the dance there. So does that make sense? It, it I does. It does. It clearly. Okay. Yeah. So I, mean, I am actually going to have a follow-up question and then we can cover the inventory sure. dance as well. I think we are going to be talking a lot about inventory, you know, yeah. in this conversation. So here, let's say if I'm the sales rep, my goal is going to be uh, that I can serve my customer as fast as well. As a customer, what I want to do is, hey, I have given my credit card, just swipe it out because that's going to be my expectation when I go to, let's say, Macy's or if I go to any other stores, you know, my expectation is that I give you my card, just process the payment, don't do dance in front of me because I have 50 million things to worry about in my life. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's going to be my take. So here I am expecting that you should be able to process the, the payment right away. But obviously, because of the system limitations and the synchronization that is happening, there's a little bit of dance happening. Is there a way to fix this dance in the process? You know, let's say if they were willing to do this, and again, obviously in this particular case, there must be challenges from the business perspective that they may not want to fix it. So are there any approaches that might be able to fix the dance uh, so that you don't have to do this? Not right now until okay. Shopify until Shopify services Mexico with ShopPay. That there will always be a dance. So the only workaround that I can foresee is having sales representatives that are very good actors and seamless dancers. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like, you know, there's a dance going on in the background. So which is definitely the case. So. <laughs> so this is going to be a skill addition for, uh, you know, salespeople. And now you need to pay them more because now you require acting as well. Along the sales skills. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll be union actors. Right. Oscar, right. <laughs> Oscar winning. Right. So. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to our inventory dance, right? So one of the process that is happening here, I understand that the terminal is from somebody else and you need to reconcile that transaction in your Shopify, because Shopify is the central system that is acting as the central system. You also mentioned that your warehouse inventory was not really uh, sort of yeah. in sync with your POS. You have the inventory in the POS. So describe the flow of the inventory, how the inventory is being synced. Is the inventory sure. for the warehouse is maintained inside the Shopify as well? So the, you are doing the manual reconciliation right at the time of the transaction. So here you are actually closing out the order. So you have the actual inventory in your Shopify. Does Shopify ever going to send the inventory to POS as well? How does that process work? Sure, sure. So there's not an issue from an inventory standpoint uh, as orders are coming in either on the e-commerce side or in the boutique. It's totally fine. So where the where the inventory issue lies right now is that whenever inventory comes from the United States or yeah. or wherever the, the product is coming from, when it arrives to the warehouse, there isn't an integration on the side of the warehouse back to Shopify, right? So how it's being managed right now is a flat file. So basically, let's say the warehouse receives a truck of 100 units. They basically take a spreadsheet and they import those extra 100 units that have been applied across product, right? So when, but when an order is actually taking place on the site or it happens within the store, yep. there's X amount of inventory that's associated and it's, and it's deducted anytime it's taken. There isn't, unfortunately, though, if there's returns or 
an item's not delivered and the product comes back to the warehouse, then those those types of manual inventory adjustments are taking place right now instead of it being a, a one-to-one API conversation that should be happening. Very interesting. So here, just to make sure I am able to follow along and my listeners are able to follow along. So obviously you have the warehouse in the back end sitting in the, in Mexico. Anytime the products are, they are going to be receiving the product. They are simply maintaining the account in a you know spreadsheet and they are pushing in the Shopify. Shopify may have a warehouse named Mexico warehouse and they must have all of these SKUs and the numbers that, okay, this is my inventory. And then, you know, when the sales person is actually trying to process the order inside Shopify, they are simply trying to deduct the inventory from, from that. But you have another inventory inside your store as well, right? So how does the sync work between the store and the Shopify main? Is there a sync process in that as well? Or is it done no. automatically? No, it's uh, it's shared inventory. So, well, I mean, it's basically um, Shopify, POS and Shopify. It's like yeah. the products are loaded. Yeah. Um, and it's basically, it's a shared product database, but you can see what e-commerce has versus what the boutique has. Okay. So it, again, it's shared. So what I will say is, you know, the Mexico warehouse is also servicing B2B as well. So it has wholesale accounts and things of that nature. So we have multiple... We have multiple warehouses. And when I say multiple warehouses, that's not right. We have multiple stores is probably yeah. the right way to phrase it. So we split the inventory versus uh, inventory for e-com and for POS yeah. and then inventory for B2B. So that way no one's ever dipping each other's hands in each other's honey pots. That's not fun enough. <laughs> Come know? on. I mean, you know, uh, the ceiling of the inventory is the most fun thing that you can do in a retail business. <laughs> oh, so true. Oh, my gosh. Back in my days at Bliss, we used to have such an issue with it. It was crazy. So, yeah. Right? Okay. Very interesting. So, now let's talk about some of the payment issues, right? So, obviously, you mentioned that uh, you have the B2B, you have the B2C, and, uh, you know, payment is being processed somewhere else. So, from the payment perspective, let's say if I'm doing this for the first time, I have all of these challenges in my business as well, where I have let's say an entity in Mexico, or it could be in Chile, or uh, it could be in Pakistan, who knows, Uh, (laughs) you know, so you have all of these entities, and wherever you are trying to do business, I mean, obviously, you have to have the storefront, because that's where your customers are, and you need to cater to them if you're a global business, and for global business, obviously, it is going to be challenging. So do you have any sort of best practices when it comes to accepting the payment standards, accepting the e-commerce platform that you may be selecting, I know that payment is probably not going to be a priority for a lot of businesses when they are selecting. And let's say e-commerce or the ERP platform, they are going to think that, you know what, I'm just a retail business. As long as it does feel like my business, I'm probably going to select it. And then I'm going to be in trouble once I start processing my payment because my processor is not there in that country. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely. So I think if anybody's doing anything internationally, yeah, it there it, it it is it is wise to both look at e-commerce platform whatever platform you're going to use from e-com or POS and yeah. then also understand your payment processing piece of it so and the best thing to do honestly in my opinion is to obviously speak with the the known payment processors that service that particular country so that that's 
and most of payment processors will list on their websites which countries they service. So that's like the best place to start. And then from an e-commerce platform or POS perspective, it's understanding which of those uh, e-commerce systems or POS systems are commonly used actually in that country. So, I mean, in the case of the client that we've been discussing wasn't an option for us to use another e-com platform at this time, just because so much of their business in the U.S. and in other countries is using it, using Shopify. So it was like we had we had a decision made for us. So we had to figure out the workarounds yeah. for all the other pieces. And sometimes that is what you have to do. But yes, I, I, I definitely recommend looking at both elements of it. Payment processing. Yeah. How are you going to get the money in the bank? That is right. the number one question everybody should be worried about at all times. <laughs> of course. Of course. Amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Um, I don't. I, this was absolutely lovely to talk with you, Sam. I really appreciate your passion towards this area of the business. So thank you. And same here, and my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, irrespective of how small your software is going to be, whether you are simply buying a POS, uh, whether you are buying e-commerce, as long as that actually touches your core enterprise architecture, which is going to be uh, any of the transactions from the sales inventory, those typically have far greater impact on your business model, business processes. So you need to be slightly careful when you are going to be selecting that. On that note, I really want to thank for you, thank you for your time. This has been a fascinating episode. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Jacqueline or connect with her, head over to rebuildgirl.com. It's R-E-B-U-I-L-D-G-I-R-L.com and driver-digital.com. It's D-R-I-V-E-R hyphen D-I-T-I-T-A-L dot com. And view the samples of her work there. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Chase Clymer, who brings a unique perspective for manufacturers and e-commerce merchants from his experience of helping customers getting their e-commerce businesses to grow from the ground up. Also the interview with Jason Greenwood who discusses the nuances of the click and collect process and why you need to centralize inventory and distribution strategy to enable this experience. Also don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.